0: Colin Horton. I'm a award wing surveyor, part-time property investor, and self-confessed entrepreneur. I believe that business is all about getting to know the people that you're dealing with, and that's exactly what we're going to be doing on this podcast. We'll be having in-depth chats, asking some personal questions, and ultimately, getting candid. Hello, everyone. I am joined today by the lovely Rebecca Brown from Thinkwell, and today we're just going to have a lovely kind of candid chat, get to know Rebecca about herself, about her passions, about her firm and generally just have a nice little, little chin wag a bit about business, uh, a bit about kind of life in general and you know just really kind of grow uh, on our guests that we've already had so far. So uh, Rebecca do you want to kind of explain a little bit about yourself and what you do and who you are and... Yeah,
1: absolutely. Thanks. First of all, thanks so much for having me. Um so as you say, my name is Rebecca. I run a customer experience consultancy, Think Wow, and we specialise in helping businesses to grow by improving their customer journey. So we help them grow their revenue, we help them attract more staff, um, all of the things that are pretty important when you're scaling a, a business from scratch. Um, but I'm also a really passionate anti-bullying advocate as well, so you might hear me chatter about that a little bit on LinkedIn from time to time. <laughs>
0: No, honestly, it's such. We're well, just touching it briefly. I mean, it's such a wonderful thing to be behind. I mean, I'm. I was very fortunate. I never suffered bullying to a, you know to an, a degree that even warrants being classed as bullied. But um, you know, I was always the butt of people's jokes at school, and it, even even little tiny dicks do have a you know you could take the one tiny because you you get you could get complimented all the time by people, but that one little tiny comment from someone really kind of become embedded in your kind of psychology and i think to have that on a permanent basis day in day out uh, whether it's the workplace or at school um you know i i really do feel for the kids that kind of have to go through that and it's such a noble thing that you're doing so i mean how did you get into kind of helping people with anti-bullying and being a, an advocate for it
1: well, I think um, the, the main thing was that I was bullied horrendously as, um, as a young teen. And then again, I was bullied in the workplace as well. So I've experienced um, my fair share of, of bullies. And it just took me way too long to recognise that it wasn't about me. It wasn't my fault. It wasn't due to anything that, that was about me. It was always about them. It was about the bully. It was about their need to, to feel powerful and to, to sort of fill in the insecurities they had of themselves. And I guess that really only dawned on me um, as I walked out of my my second job where my, where my manager was bullying me, and I kind of took that power back and from then on in, I was really lucky to have very supportive managers and people who helped me to recognize that actually the insecurities I was feeling as a result of some of that, that bullying were, were purely because of the bullying and actually I had some I had some talent there I had some things I could do um, and I embraced myself. I embraced being myself, not trying to please anybody, just literally doing the things that felt important to me and to the values that that felt important to me. And it's never, it's never been a better, better thing. I feel much more confident because of that. And actually it was LinkedIn that, that helped me recognize that I could take that further. Um, I shared my, my story of being bullied, um, probably about this time last year and, uh, about 800, um, people engaged with the post and I received probably about 20 or 30 messages from people saying that what what can I do I'm there now um
0: would you mind mind, mind talking about it what happened yeah absolutely
1: um I mean the the post I shared is actually just um the recollection I had of some of the things that that had been said to me as as a teenager um and really the point I was trying to make was that These were things that were said to me 20 years ago, but I can still hear them like it was yesterday. And it was things like nice body, shame about the face, or you look like a skeleton, or or, are you a boy or a girl? Um, And, you know, these things really, really hurt me at that time. And I carried them with me throughout my life. And I think, you know, that people are very quick to say sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And that's just not true. Words can cause so much damage. Um, so really that was, that was kind of what I was trying to say was just, let's be, let's be kind to each other. Um, and I had so many people reach out for help. And at the time I just, I didn't feel like I could help them because I'm, I'm not a professional. Um, I'm, I'm just, I was just a a random person who's experienced in customer experience. And I just didn't feel like I could point them in the right direction. Um, and that didn't feel right to me and it sat with me and for a few weeks i felt really rubbish about the fact that all these people were still messaging me and i kept on saying i'm really sorry i can't help i can't help um so in the end uh, i spoke to my my husband and business partner and said look actually i don't i don't think this is good enough we need to do more um so we set up a page just on our customer experience consultancy website that was Help for people, help for businesses, help for individuals to say, look, if you are there right now, here are some online resources from professionals who do know what they're talking about. These are the places you can go to get help, and it just helped to to be able to point those people somewhere proactive. Yeah, I mean, I mean,
0: for me, it's such a, it's almost a taboo. Even anything related to HR in the workplace, people are very reluctant to ever raise a voice to speak to their boss. Because yeah. even like a very passing comment, like, you know, oh, you, you might have funny teeth. I used to have really bad teeth as a kid. I used to have terrible, 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 terrible teeth. Oh, right. So how am I professional? <laughs> 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 I used to have terrible, terrible teeth. And I used to get his comments at school and it used to really stick with me. Mm-hmm. Really, really, really stick with me. And it's only up until probably two years ago, I was able to afford to get Invisalign done. Got that done. And yeah. It kind of changed my whole life. But if you look for all my photos, never ever smiled. I look so miserable. And even now, there's a inherent insecurity going forward. um And it's little tiny comments like that. It, it's, it's nice to hear you say you, you, you understand it because I think sometimes people will just say stuff to people, maybe to make themselves mm-hmm. feel better, like, oh, you put on a bit of weight or whatever. They don't really know the damage that is doing because psychologically that has a huge, huge impact. And I think it's hard. Um, I'd love to think that my staff can come and speak to me about anything they have that happens at the workplace. But it's hard though, isn't it? I mean, I can't imagine trying to go. And, I mean, did you confront your workplace bullies? Uh, yeah,
1: well? it's interesting, actually. So I, I was bullied by two different people in two different organisations. And the first one was when I was about 20 and I was really young and I I, I didn't really know that what she was doing at the time was bullying. I think, you know, I'd seen enough negative role models uh, of how bosses should be, like people like Alan Sugar, people like um, Gordon Ramsay, who sort of scream at their staff and, and consider that that's the way to motivate them. So I think I just sort of felt like, I just need to work harder I'm obviously not doing, <laughs> doing a good <hard laughs> enough job she really hates me you know, it must be something I'm doing so I just sort of put up with it until I couldn't put up with it anymore with her yeah, And then yeah, I
0: yeah. what was the bullying taking how was this taking place so people snide, might be snide marks, remarks right?
1: mostly yeah. yeah it was it was mostly snide remarks and um, I would so I was working in an art gallery at the time and I would I would spend two hours putting up a display and she'd look at it and say is that is that the best you could do and I, I'd be like, uh, well, well, yeah. I mean, I can I can keep working on it. <laughs> if you're not happy, that's fine. Um, and there was no constructive feedback. It was never, well, actually, I've been doing this for twenty years, so this is great. But here's how it could look better, or you know, it was it was always just negative, disparaging comments. Or I'd come in thinking that I looked really good and professional, and she'd be like, "You're wearing that tonight, are you?" Um, and I'd be like, um, yeah. "No, I've got a spare <laughs> change of clothes." <laughs> and I just I just panicked. I didn't know how to deal with that kind of um, confrontation, but the second job I had, which was actually really, it was quite similar. Um, it was it was working in a, a, a well-known fashion store, and I was managing the store. And it was the area manager who had, who had the problem with me, and she was the one who recruited me. She was the one who trained me. But again, it was that really negative, unconstructive feedback things like um we had to uh by, by regulation we had to wear high heels that were no smaller than three inches at all times which is wow. ridiculous when you're on your feet all day long <laughs> unpacking boxes in the storeroom yeah. and these tiny tiny little pencil skirts and these high heels and i just I, she was there and i felt more nervous when she was around because i knew that i couldn't do anything to please her and i just tripped over when i was trying to unpack a box and kick the box across the floor and she just looked at me and went you're not very practical, are you? And I was like, who would be in high heels and a pencil skirt, <laughs> you know, this is crazy. Um, but for me, that that really culminated. I, I was going on holiday for a week and I knew that it was the last week of the month and that we hadn't got to target yet. So I spent the week before I went on holiday calling around all our VIP customers to say, we've got a new range in, can we arrange for you to pop in? Just have a cup of coffee, have a look at it, see what you think, if you love it, great, if not, just have a coffee and enjoy the day. Um, And I booked for about 25 of these VIPs to come in on the week I was off, set up the the lines that I knew they would like, made sure the team knew how, how to treat them, what to show them, et cetera, and really prepped for it so that they would have that chance of hitting target. And I came back in after my week off and they'd smashed it. They'd absolutely smashed it, which was absolutely credit to them. They'd all worked really hard for it. But all she could say to me was, it's no surprise that the best week was when you weren't even in the business. And I was like, well, let me tell you all the work that I put Mm -hmm. in to make sure that happened. You know, let me me talk to you about that. And she wouldn't. And she literally followed that comment up with, your assistant manager could do your job in her sleep. Um, And I went on my lunch break and I phoned my husband and I burst into tears. And I was like, I don't know what more I can possibly do for this woman. And he was like, just quit. You don't need to take this. Um, And that was it. Yeah, I walked back in and I said to her, I am the best manager that you could possibly find. I care about my team. I care about the outcomes. If you think my assistant manager can do better, give her the job. I'm not doing it anymore, and I just left.
0: Was well, she insecure? Do you think about? I think you. she was,
1: yeah. And I think it's it, you know it's sad that this is even the case, and that I even have to be that way. But very much quite early on in my career. I've always been very ambitious and I never hid that. I would always talk openly to my line managers and sort of say, you know, I want your job in five years' time to help me. How can I learn yeah. the things you learn? And in my mind, that was me showing sort of proactivity and being kind of, you know, hungry for the win. In their mind, I was after their job. So yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, it, I didn't necessarily help myself out from that perspective, but it happens so often. Um, and it, like you say, it's that, it's that feeling threatened and, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate that I now have my own business, and when we do grow, when we hire people, I know what not to do. So, I'm um, you know, I'm hopeful that we'll attract the right people because of that. But
0: how do you recruit in terms of recruitment and looking for the right people? Do you look for mini Rebeccas, or do you want different types of personality to come in? Because I always find it hard. In my head, I'd love a team of Collins, but I know that would be really <laughs> lazy; I won't get much done. <laughs> but, like, do you try and yeah. find like little, little versions of you, or do you, are you very? I don't really care about CVs, if I'm completely honest with you. I would scrap CVs. i Mm -hmm. have to be a little bit cautious because we have RICS and accreditation to look after. Mm -hmm. I'll just hire the person if I could all the time, all day, every day. So how do you – what do you look for in in your staff members? What's important to you when you're trying to grow and get the right people in? What's your dream staff –
1: I'm definitely the same as you. I think CVs are rubbish. You can write whatever you want on them and it doesn't tell you anything about someone. So, I think definitely for, for Think Wow, as we grow that team, I've already said that I will be hiring pretty much exclusively from LinkedIn. I'll be looking for people who have shown me over the course of maybe six months who they really are because at that point, I can just look back through their posts. I can look at how they engage with people and I can see whether they're the kind of um, attitudes that will look after our customers best. Um, so, I think... It's probably a mixture of both for me. Um, going into business with my husband was a huge eye-opener for me because we're, whilst we're very similar on certain things, we're also polar opposites on so much. And that been... That That's was brilliant because it's the things yeah. I'm scared of that he's like, no, I'll do that, I'll tackle that, and <laughs> it's you know, it, it's just been a really great kind of harmonious relationship where he goes, he, you know, he's he's our, our head of sort of commercial and he just has that commercial savvy that I I'm all about. Let's just please the customers at all costs, and he's like, well, hang on a minute, let's think about the cost. <laughs> and it's good to have him <laughs> rein me back in sometimes. Um, so I think. Attitude is is really what it's about for me. I personally think that there's nothing in customer experience that you can't learn, um, but you know it's essential. You like people, and not enough people in people-facing businesses like people. So having that sort of innate respect for customers, having that innate wish to do better, to, to improve things, is really the most important aspect for me.
0: See, I want, to, I want to touch on, on Thinkwell now because I look at the website and it, it's really great. It's a really good kind of content, but I don't think there's anything really out there. And I was actually completely unrelated to this. I was actually – there's our know, comments down, we've got a lot of clients, a lot of individual clients who mm-hmm. the transactions are related to their properties. So you can imagine how – I don't want to use the word pesty, but pesty these people are. And what we do is quite reactive. It's quite reactive. It's a negotiation. It's are two – uh what's the word uh responsive to stuff sometimes you're weak you weaken your position when you negotiate so it's quite hard to articulate this to clients um
1: mm-hmm.
0: and i was worried that we were weren't given a customer service that we should be giving to our clients so it's literally only on the walk on saturday with um kind of like my my right hand man i was thinking i might just get like a secret shopper in and is that like do you think that's a good idea is that not a good idea i thought it'd be lovely to see you know, are people actually doing their jobs? What What do people about us as a company? I mean, how do you how do you do you use secret shoppers? Is that something you'd recommend? Have you ever used that?
1: Yeah, I think it it really it depends a little bit on who your customer base is, whether or not it works, and and the kind of volume that you're dealing with. I think mm. secret shoppers can be really good, but ultimately they tend to go in sort of once or twice maximum. So actually, if they're lucky enough to get a great member of staff, you haven't really learned much about. Where you, where you could be going wrong. And I think your better option is actually just to talk to your customers to find out some honest feedback from them. Customers want to help, they want to feedback. And most of the time, if they don't, it's because it, it hasn't been made easy enough for them to do that in a way that's anonymous, in a way that's at a time and place that suits them in a quick and easy way. So if you can make it as easy as possible for all your customers to, to feedback on how they felt, you will learn so much about what's going right, what's going wrong, where you could improve. And, and really, it's about taking that deliberate and proactive step to say, well, that's it. There's a line in the sand here. From here on in, we're gathering as much feedback as possible. And we're going to be as open minded as possible to what that feedback says. Because we're all human. Um, you know, yeah. It's very natural when we get negative feedback to feel a bit defensive and to feel like you want to just prove you've done nothing wrong. But actually, that doesn't change anything. That doesn't it doesn't make that customer happier. It doesn't mean that anything changes for customers in the future. And you'll just keep on having that sort of situation where it is very reactive. It is very firefighting. Yeah. I'm um, very, so, yeah. I get very
0: defensive. I do. I openly admit I get very defensive. And it's that breathe, don't send an email, come back mm-hmm. to it later on. Because the amount of times I've sent an email straight away
1: yeah.
0: Oh, no, should have done that. And
1: it's so natural. It's so natural. We all do it. You know, when I first started handling complaints, it was actually in the property industry. Um, I was head of customer experience at Purple Bricks at the time. And oh, yeah, I, I'd never really... All the complaint handling I'd had to do prior to that was... As a result of the service I had direct control over, it was I I was managing the teams. We were delivering that service, so we'd get one complaint maybe every six months, and I'd be like, "Okay, let's fix this. We can sort it." And all of a sudden, I was handling complaints for people I hadn't got direct control over, and they were coming in sort of 20, 30 a, a week, and I was like, "Whoa, <laughs> you know, what do, I, what do I do with these?" Um, because you know, all of a sudden it was it was different. It wasn't defensive because it wasn't about me. It wasn't about things that I'd done. But very quickly, I realised that those complaints had got to where they need what well, got to where they were because no one in that front line had responded open-mindedly. Those those initial responses had been so protective of what they'd built and the service they delivered. And it's really, really natural to want to do that. You know, a lot of the time you feel like you've gone above and beyond for someone. And if they then complain, it, it feels really painful. But the key thing is that somewhere along the line, there's been a mismatch of expectations. So understanding yeah. exactly where that happened, so that you can stop that expectation from going awry in the future, is really important.
0: No, I think the communication is is imperative. I mean, we've mm-hmm. we've taken various ways of trying to communicate as much as possible, whether that's hiring more staff. And the difficult we have sometimes is because it can take quite a long time to articulate a current situation to a client over the phone. Um, yeah. Maybe looking like 20, 30 minutes, which is ultimately, you could be generating new business in that time. So it's really hard to, I, I, str- I struggle openly with the best way to handle it. We've looked at CRM platforms where you can update, but again, that's really expensive. Uh, you look up, Savannah is an archaic sector anyway, as you know, it's we're quite young, which is why we've done relatively all right. Mm-hmm. but it's hard it's I really do do I might probably talk to you about it after this. be fair. I really struggle with <laughs> exactly. um, the best way to kind of get the customer journey because you get some great results and they're lovely um but you're dealing with thousands and thousands of pounds for people and it's mm-hmm. not my thing but in terms of the what we're yeah. kind of negotiating and it's it's like cause you, you you're like a stereotypical client for me just you know a general person who owns a flat mm-hmm. or whatever and it's hot. Like I really do struggle with it. And it's, um, it's when I saw kind of what you've done as a, as a, company, it was nice because it's, you know, I, ultimately my aim is to build a company to sell. That's the plan mm-hmm. to build a company and sell it. Um, I look to stuff like trust. Do You think that trust pilot and stuff are worth yep. doing, or you do?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think you know you you need to if you're going to embrace trust pilot. So, so there are a couple of things to know around trust pilot. The first thing is that customers can start your trust pilot for you without your say. They can just start reviewing you, and then you have the option as to whether you claim that trust pilot or not. But ultimately. If people, if you grow big enough, people will start to leave reviews on Trustpilot for you. So it's a better idea to proactively put that into a customer strategy. Make sure you have the time and the resource to, dedicated to actually own it. Um, and it's interesting you've asked me that because I've literally just been writing an article this morning on how you can use your responses to reviews to inspire confidence in your brand and ultimately attract more customers to you because it can be so powerful. Um, you know, everything that we do is really kind of centered around how you grow that brand, how you make sure more and more people come to you. So the barrier that we have, I suppose, is getting past that, that idea of, well, we don't have the time, we don't have the money, we don't have the resource to, de- to dedicate to customer service when actually that's that's the thing that's going to build your business. It's the thing that's going to t- earn you more revenue. So it's, it's about really more. Can you afford not to dedicate that time and the resource? Um, at, at Purple Bricks, trust Pilot was a central part of our strategy because we were a new brand and we were trying something completely different. We were asking people to pay for their service way before we'd ever sold their house. And that element of trust was huge for us. And one of the ways that we proved people could trust us was by our positive review scores. And we had, you know, by the time I left, we had 40,000 trust pilot reviews with an average score of 9.6 out of 10. That meant we were really pushing against an open door. And even if we had competition, whispering in people's ears to say, they'll promise you they'll sell your house, but they won't. We could just say, look, well, hey, just just look at the reviews. They speak for themselves. Um, and really the hardest job there was was proving that those reviews were from genuine people. And so we had a whole person dedicated to that 24-7 to verify yeah, the reviews. You, you, yeah, because
0: how do you... I mean, I'm i I'm gullible. I, I believe Trustpilot stuff. I see it and I, I generally do yeah. believe it. I buy into it. But I mean, how do you How do you prove... I don't know how you'd even prove something like that. To,
1: mm-hmm. Well, I think to the first thing is that Trustpilot have had people take advantage of them in the past. So they've spent years making their systems as robust as possible. So the first thing to understand is that they have algorithms that capture if there's been more than one review left from the same IP address, they'll take that second review down. So that's a really great way of making sure that those reviews are genuine. It's a bit of a pain in the bum if you're trying to, you know, if you've sold something to a husband and then to a wife, or you've sold something to someone in, in flat A and then flat B, because it can catch them out as well. But ultimately you'd rather you'd rather that than have your, your reviews be kind of criticized as false. But the second thing we did was purely just for internal purposes, um, It it was more our investors and the the shareholders that wanted to know they were genuine. So we would just make sure that for every review we had, we had a customer number that matched up to it and that that customer had verified, yes, that was me. So we went through and we double checked. And if we ever got to a review where we couldn't find out who the customer was, whether that was a five-star review or a one-star review, we would report it to Trustpilot ourselves and get it taken down. So we were very proactive about that. Yeah. And I think, you know, that, that's all you can do you will get people from time to time who leave a negative review and it's not real it's a competitor it's a competitor or you might even have them leaving positive reviews just to try and catch you out so they can say they're not real but we were very very hot on it and that you know that's all you can do the second and thing you, is it's really can, important to
0: respond if you do have negative reviews on your trust pilot how easy mm. is it to because I will I will look for reviews and I'll see one bad review and I'll go mm-hmm. to that bad review. Yeah,
1: <laughs> everyone does. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, like mean, you can, can with more. Do they stay there or can you? You I know you can respond, can't you? But it's yeah.
1: so certainly different different platforms work in different ways. But Trustpilot, you can't have something taken down just because you disagree with it. If it's a negative review and you think, well, that's not fair, we really did everything we could. Tough, it's there. So all you can do in that scenario is respond to say, look, you know, thank you so much for your feedback. We really want to help you. Please get in touch. Show show anyone reading it that you care about that one person and that you want to do everything in your power to fix their relationship. Negative experiences can be turned into positive experiences as long as you deal with them in the right way. It's if you go back and say, well, actually, no, we called you on this date, this date, this date, and it comes across quite argumentative, that it could damage the perception people have of the brand. The second thing to consider... Sorry, you go. <laughs> I was just going to say the second thing to consider is, um, so we work with a feedback platform that that actually is quite clever in the way that it works. If you if you send out feedback to all of your customers, firstly, then often when people leave a negative review, it's because they need help. They really want help, and they're really angry that they've not been able to get to it easily. So. By offering a really easy, proactive way for people to provide feedback, they're less likely to go and leave you a negative review publicly because they've actually already had the help they need. The, the feedback we, we work with acts as a bit of a barrier in that way in, in between negative reviews and, and the customer because they will they will respond to that feedback. You reach out immediately to help them and then you have a happy customer. So you just don't get to that point in the first place.
0: Interesting. It's, yeah. it's really I mean, I didn't think the conversation would go into to Trustpilot but it's actually a really nice thing to talk about actually especially as yeah. kind of we kind of grow the podcast um, I was wondering surely they could embed something with an invoice in platform like Xero or um, what company kind of that one's called now um, I don't know, know why I'm saying this I don't work for business development for Trustpilot but you could just like <laughs> put like a code onto the invoices and then you can only leave a review if you've had if you paid for the service from that person I don't think it's yeah, bad. With so that's, that's what they,
1: they do do that. So um, oh, really? Trustpilot part of part of what Trustpilot has to try and avoid is businesses manipulating it to only send it to people they think are happy. So Trustpilot will push as much as they can to make sure that there's a fixed point in the journey that the, the invite goes out to absolutely everybody so that everyone has the chance to to review but they also have organic reviews so people can just go along and 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 leave a review even if they've not kind of followed that link um and it you know it is it's is tricky you know Facebook's worse Facebook there's literally no no control over it whatsoever yeah. so you might find that you just have a whole load of reviews come through that are negative that you can't do well, well, I can't admit that I
0: I did leave a bad review on the company once because they were annoying me and yeah. they went,
1: but what did oh. you know why were they annoying you what made you leave that review had you tried to contact them in any way before that point
0: uh, no they were undercutting me Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so you weren't even expecting this?
0: <laughs> oh yeah, no, I, 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 <laughs> that. I that. But yeah, it was uh, that was quite immature of me at the time. But it's I'm at that point now where I'm I'm deliberating whether to go with it because we've got two firms mm-hmm. that could benefit, especially professional service. I think it is something where you do charge a lot of money, and maybe yeah. it would give people it re, and it does look good. I do think it does give people recognise the brand. You recognise those little green. Star things, you know, it's it's good. Yeah, do you, would think- you think it for yourselves? Will you get it or would you not?
1: When we're at the right sort of volume, so we, we only started a year and a half ago, we've had about 20 customers. So we're not at the level yet where where kind of trust pilot would be relevant. But yeah, absolutely. I think that the first thing to understand is that if you're trying to build trust in your brand, customers will absolutely trust an external review site more than they'll trust anything that's quoted on your own website. So it's great to have your own testimonials on, on your website. We have our testimonials on our website because we're just, you know, we haven't been going long enough to have that big, massive of clients yet. And um, the client we work with. We work with for sort of a couple of months at a time. But you know, essentially, what what customers want to see is that there has been that external verification. They will trust that so much more. So if you have a bulk of customers, if you have the volume to justify it, I would absolutely always say yes, go for reviews. But don't just do it to win business. Do it to make sure that you understand your customers better and take action from anything that comes back as a negative review. And I would say be really harsh. Set yourself high standards for what consider what you consider a negative. If it's three stars, were you, were you when you built your business setting out to provide three-star service? Probably not. So, let's consider that a negative review. Let's consider that a complaint and take it really seriously look at anybody who gives you a three star two star one star look at what happened in their journey and look at what you can do proactively internally to stop that from ever happening again to another customer if you don't do that then whilst it's great to have reviews externally you might end up with negative reviews externally which will do the opposite they will kill your business so you need to be you need to be deliberate about your approach to it for sure
0: and with the reviews and start tackling reviews who's the best put i know is it the company owner is it the office manager like who inherently in a company is the best person to kind of tackle that because it's the role like obviously people like yourselves it's almost like a, a person in the company isn't it you're know, like an additional role that we you know most companies yeah. don't have but who, you, would look after, who's, is that the owner would it be my job I mean we've so got like my, view,
1: my view on that is that the person who tackles the review is the person who Owns the customer journey. So whether that is the owner, whether it is someone that they've got, it could be a sales manager, it could be a customer service assistant. It depends on the size of the business. But there are a couple of criteria, really. They need to own the customer journey so they're the person seeing the insights and doing something with them. But they also need to be the one who's least defensive. They need to they need to love customers and they need to be able to recognize these complaints as the gold dust that they are, the information that's missing. 91% of unhappy customers will leave a brand without ever telling them why they just they just switched to a competitor so if you are lucky enough to get a negative comment or a complaint that tells you why someone's unhappy that is gold dust information for your business it will absolutely transform how you can operate so whoever's responding to those reviews needs to see it that way they need to understand that what they've got there is a real piece of you know privileged information and they need to treat it like that it's a really good way of looking at it, actually i
0: never i never thought about looking at it like that it's um it's amazing.
1: It's amazing what
0: it can do to mindset. Yeah. I mean, what's your what's your what's your plans? Then we think, well, how 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 would you want to grow that? What's the dream? I, I like to know people's dreams. It's my go-to interview question, actually.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, glo- global domination, really. Uh, yeah. No, I think we we really. So I'm I'm very passionate about customer experience. I want to get it right. I want more businesses to get it right. There is nothing more frustrating as a consumer myself and seeing friends, family, etc. be consumers and hearing them say, I've just waited for 45 minutes on hold to a company because they're still blaming COVID for delays in answering phones. I got through, got passed to someone else and got cut off. So I've now got the phone again. You know, things like that drive me insane. So we are proactively helping as many businesses as we possibly can to change their customer experience, to make sure that what they're delivering is exceptional. And ultimately, to do that, we need to grow. So sort of within the next 12 months, we are looking at expanding the team, bringing more people on. And, you know, at the moment, what that looks like is pretty flexible. We, we don't know. It may be that we even go down the kind of Purple bricks model and, and find people who are already customer experience professionals, but bring them on in the sort of self-employed, almost franchise role, or it might be we bring them in as part of the team. But ultimately, the most important thing, as I said earlier, is finding the right people with the right passions, you know, get that get that attitude right. And we don't mind training them from scratch. It's all about putting them through sort of almost like the yeah, Academy to to get to get the right results. Yeah.
0: Especially just nice people fundamentally, isn't it? It's yeah, such...
1: people we like working with who, who share yeah. our values. <laughs> that was the I, biggest I, I, driver I, for us going self-employed is to work for our own true.
0: values. Like the main skill, people skill that I think we are, is empathy is the main people skill that I think you should want in your company, especially from a client, you know, from from a client base mm-hmm. I want people that can empathize with people. The amount of times you I've been in companies where they've you know, pardon my friend, I don't give two shits about the people that there. They're just yeah. there to get their money in, especially in sales roles, like pure sales roles. I do find empathy is completely utterly lacking
1: yeah. in that regard. And it's interesting. You know, that's just absolute music to my ears. I, I'm all about empathy and generally speaking, because Think wow operates in a slightly different so we work we work slightly different to a lot of customer experience consultancies because we have that sales element too. So we're not just customer service for the sake of making customers happy. We're kind of, let's get the experience right to drive more sales. We, we've we got the kind of sales coaching element too. But empathy has to be present at every single step of that journey. And like you say, most of the time, so there's a direct correlation between great customer experience and employee experience. So if your employees aren't happy, your customers will feel that and employees need to feel cared about from the very, very top in order to actually work in the right way. So, We've just we've just done a, a project with someone, and actually, where we started was not with their customers at all. We started with their values, with their culture, with how happy their staff were, because if that's not right, if you haven't got that in place, you will really struggle to drive any kind of meaningful change yeah. for your customers. It's
0: true, because I, I, someone that I know, um, they work for a debt a debt company, uh, recovery mm-hmm. debt. I don't like debt companies at all. Like yeah. you know. When I I really struggled with that. And I really messed up at uni. I got myself into a terrible, terrible situation. I've always had a really bad perception of debt companies. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, they're working around mine. And we were trying to like chat in. And I, I was, I'm i very biased. I was like scum, like scum. Like, <laughs> they, buy these, they buy these debts at like 10p on the pound. Like, yeah, they're trying to charge these people. Like, you know. But but this person's role was to make sure that the client the customer journey was flawless and okay, that if any representatives weren't doing the right thing then they would they're getting hauled up they are mm. it, it's a machine I've, I've never it's a big company this but yeah. their job is to really make sure that the customer journey is as good as possible and they've got i mean you can afford to do it when you've got you know ten thousand staff but I was absolutely amazed. I listened to the calls. Oh, you've done that wrong. You should have given them help there. You should have advised them to do that. You shouldn't have taken their money. That was wrong to take their money. That's really reassuring really to hear, it, isn't it? It blew my mind. I didn't think people mm-hmm. like that existed. The debt companies, when well. I was in debt, I didn't do that. I mean, they're yeah. not So it was. Um,
1: and that's the yeah. thing, isn't it? Is when does someone need your empathy more than when they are super stressed and in loads of debt? You know, that's yeah. a terrifying time to be. And to have someone just be a bit kind and to understand your situation, is, it can go so far, can't it?
0: Do you know what I do think's lovely actually. I'm a big like when you go through in the call center, it's always nice to get. I always like to get like a nice Irish person because I always feel like they're really warm to me. <laughs> you know, I want a nice middle-aged Irish woman. <laughs> and I know someone who
1: comes across kind, yeah. yeah. So, you know, it, it is funny, isn't it? Different accents definitely have different perceptions in people's minds. Um, the, the Geordie accent is another one that people really think is very friendly and they'll like to, to chat to someone. But um, ironically, I was always told my voice was the worst because I just don't have an identifiable accent. So people don't know how to, they don't know how to like, identify with me. I just don't read where,
0: where are you from? From the South
1: Coast. So yeah, just Hampshire. Oh, yeah. But I don't have a Hampshire accent because that sounds sort of slightly Yeah. <laughs> and I grew <laughs> up <laughs> next <laughs> to so Farms. Just... So did you? i said my yes. husband.
0: <laughs> oh yeah I really love that place. It was uh yeah I'd move back to Portsmouth actually. It's like a better version of South End. But um, yeah the call centre experience to me is a massive one. Like if you, I'm like you. If I'm going through pillar to post, I don't understand why I can't just pick up the phone and speak to someone.
1: Yeah,
0: I hate having to like say what I'm doing, like, and then it's not the computer doesn't understand what you're saying. Oh, that's the, that
1: is the most frustrating thing, isn't it? When it says, "Did you say V?" and you say, "No, I said B, B." <laughs>
0: hey, it's just zero, 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 zero. um Yeah, but the phone thing's massive. Like mm. I've. It's something I've kind of tried to drill into my team. Is that your phone, uh, your phone voice is so important to people. Because like, we're from Essex, we're inherently quite friendly. Generally, we're quite a friendly bunch. We sound like salesmen, but we we you know we're generally quite <laughs> friendly. And um, it's just so important. You know, it's just so important. I mean, what's the what would you say? Are kind of your best tips for the kind of the first port of call on the phones. Like you know, top three tips for your that so first you- engagement?
1: yeah so the first thing is make it as easy easy as possible for someone to get through so please don't have you know a really really long-winded message that has 15 options that take you to another 10 options that take you back to zero and then say you've run out of options and hang it up don't do that make it as easy as possible the second thing is to really empower your frontline people if you can give your frontline staff values-based training that enables them to think on their feet and know how to answer questions in a way that will serve the customer but also serve your company values then you don't have to train them how to answer every single question with the exact answer they just have kind of a guidance and set of rules so you can sort of empower them to make decisions and resolve any problems at that first point of contact so they don't have to find a manager they don't have to pass that someone from pillar to post and the second thing is to listen to really listen. Um, whenever we listen to call recordings, um, on, so like you were saying about the secret shopper, so we don't do secret, we just we listen to call recordings and we tell people we're going to. Um, but whenever we do listen to those call recordings, the thing that will make me cringe most is when someone phones to try and raise a complaint and the person on the other end just continually interrupts them. It's done from a position of wanting to help and wanting to try and get them the answers they need. But because that that complainant never gets a chance to really talk about what's frustrated them. You can hear them getting more and more frustrated the more questions get thrown their way as they're even trying to kind of explain it. So just by sitting quietly listening, let them talk, let them get it off their chest, wait for a really natural pause in the conversation to say, I'm really sorry to hear that. I'd like to help you. Let's see what we can do to fix it for you. is much better than just immediately trying to jump and fix something that you don't even really know what, what the problem is yet.
0: Very useful guy it's very useful would you ever recommend i've done this recently i sacked a sack client okay because they we've they we get we got a fantastic result i was chuffed at the result they got it was mm-hmm. way beyond what i told them i'll get from it was a sensational result yeah they was not happy at all that's mm-hmm. just damn like greedy um I'm guessing you're going to say, no, you don't ever recommend sacking a client, but is there points at which, you, you know, you have to do, have to step away because the customer isn't always right? Is there, you know, it's, I'm very cautious of, you know, making sure our brand is never tarnished and the yeah. reviews are always great. Right,
1: but- and do you know what? This this is such a good question, Colin. um there are a few there are a few different things that I could say and it's I could probably talk about an hour on this subject alone, but well I'll try and condense it down for you. Essentially, the most important thing when you are looking for your clients right in the beginning is to find the right client in the first place. And that won't be everybody. And it's okay to say to someone right at the beginning, we're not the right people for you. So designing a process that identifies clients that will work for you that have similar values having really clear outcomes for what they're trying to to achieve what they're hoping to expect and setting clear expectations right from the word go you won't get into that situation where you've got a client who's pissed off and unhappy when you've delivered your base service if you get to that point it's because somewhere along the line expectations weren't, weren't set in the right way so Ultimately, yes, customers cannot always be right. They won't always be right. But as the professional, as the person who understands innately how your company works, what your products are, how they'll work, what sort of time length it will take, what sort of results are, it's effectively your job to educate your clients right from the beginning on what's achievable. So if they're really angry towards the end, it's normally because either they didn't really listen at the beginning, in which case you'll probably pick up on that and you shouldn't work with them, or it's because the expectation wasn't quite managed in the right way. So I would always encourage people to take serious ownership of the, the beginning of the, the journey, the expectation setting, and to, to not be afraid to turn a client down. And that's the hardest part. When you're starting a new business, you want clients, you want to just take every bit of money you can. And I think just about every single business will fall into this trap in the first 12 months because you you don't know who to say no to until you until you know. It's one of those things, you don't know what you don't know until you know. Eventually, you'll find those clients that that just aren't a great fit for you, and they can potentially damage your brand. And you then know what to look for in the future. And in that scenario, yes, it's okay to say, "Look, we've worked with you for six months. We've we've really enjoyed the process, but actually, our business is moving in a slightly different direction. You're no longer the, the you know we don't think they're the best people to help you, and try and find someone who maybe is. So you know, say to them that we could recommend this person. They might be able to fit the needs a little bit better, but ultimately we don't think we can take you much further than we've already taken you. And it's about framing that that kind of client projection in a way that still inspires confidence in your brand so that if they do go away and talk to somebody else, they're not saying, oh, bloody Colin, worked me six months, promised me the world and then sacked me off after six months. They're saying, actually, you know what, he did his best. Um, but in the end, it probably wasn't the right choice for either of us, so we went our separate ways. That's a much more positive narrative to have someone out there spinning about your brand.
0: Well, that's very useful, then. It's very useful. I mean, what what I struggle with a little bit is where we'll get referred a client from an, a referrer. So we work a lot with solicitors. So our relationship with those solicitors is imperative. We need mm-hmm. to keep that because it's they're recommending to us. We need to make sure that they're happy. Yeah, of course. Uh, and we've got a case at the moment where we're dealing with a client and um, he or she is an absolute, well, yeah, they are horrible, and um, like my referrer is getting a lot of grief from this person mm-hmm. due to how they perceive our service to be. They've had a fantastic service, and I'm like, like, such a great result, but they're just never happy. They're never happy. Yeah. I've refunded, not even charged them, doing mm-hmm. stuff for free, still not happy. And you just can't. And I should have known from the start. It's interesting we say about look, don't take it on because at the start. They were asking so many questions about mm-hmm. this process, much more than anyone else would do. And I should have known then it would have been a bit of a tricky one. But how no. do you manage it where you preferred or what would you recommend where you, you've you got a client that's causing you loads of grief but it's been sent from an outside source and you don't want to lose confidence with that referrer who's getting you mm-hmm. the work? How would you handle that kind of situation? Mm-hmm.
1: It is really tricky, isn't it? And I think the the main thing is to just be really honest and open with your third party, to, to keep the kind of communication channels really open and clear and say, look, actually, you know, these are the things we've done to keep this client happy. This is where we're at now. We're contemplating saying to the client that we're probably not the best fit anymore. We don't want that to come back negatively on you. So how, how do you want us to handle this? Is there anything you want to kind of say? Is there any way you want to get involved? And just make them part of the, part of the process, part of the decision. It's really what I would say is it is actually really rare that you'll get a client that is just one of those awkward clients who no matter what you do, you can't please them. Most customers generally want to be right in the decision they've made. They want to be vindicated for choosing you. So if they're unhappy, it is because something's gone wrong if you do get one of those clients where no matter what you do, they're angry, you look at their trust pilot reviews they've left. And for about 15 companies, they've been one stars. And you just think, you know, this person probably just quite an unhappy person oh, in life. You, you see that. And you can yeah, see yeah, you can see the other reviews they've left. definitely. Oh, interesting. Um, interesting. But, um, um. but it is, like I say, it's very rare. I'm talking like less than 1% of people <laughs> who complain are that angry kind of customer. So normally there will be a, a root cause for it. And I'm happy to chat to you if you want. So we can, we can find the root cause for anyone like that, but you know, ultimately if you are at that point then all you can do is be honest with the third party they will have clients like that too you know we're, we're all in business we all have clients and the more clients we have the more likely it is we'll find someone who no matter what we do we can't please them so just you know just be honest about it
0: it's very useful I will, I'm going to to take it a I wish I spoke to you previously because I had a bit of a yeah it's a traumatic experience you know, yeah, emails you see, I, email see come through like
1: yeah I I just know it's through. Gonna be tough.
0: i'm not, not going to read that today i'm going to read that on monday
1: yeah um, actually you know, that's such a really valid point as well is that actually if you if you want to get the best out of your staff recognizing that complaints and dealing with the general public can be traumatic at times and to offer them enough support to be able to cope with that is really important um, you know, yeah. I can still, if, if you said to me, who was your worst complaint, I can still remember it like it was yesterday because they stick with you and they really, you know, it's almost a bit like bullying. You know, sometimes they say some really hurtful things and it can really damage people. So, um, you know, recognising that complaints aren't easy to deal with. Don't, you know, don't pay your complaint handlers minimum wage, value them and, and you know, pay them what it's worth for the, the hazardous job they're in effectively.
0: At what point uh, would you say is a good point to get a, uh, I mean, is it worth having external complaints handlers initially to get to a certain size? Because realistically, you don't really want to get any complaints. But um, mm. at the yeah. moment, when we, cause we, we're on loads of bank panels now and we have to, what's your complaint handling procedure? I
1: don't know. Well, I'm mm. just comfortable. It's like... Yeah, and I think that that's that's a, that's a great question. You know, if you're not big enough to justify hiring someone full time for something, then don't. Um, you know, we support some of our clients. We've got sort of retainer options that they can mix and match the services they they use. So sometimes it might be we respond to a complaint for someone. Sometimes it might be that we're looking at some journey mapping for them. You know, there are different options. But ultimately, the most important thing is actually not handling the complaint itself. It's putting in place the proactive responses to to fix those problems. So if you get to the point where you find that you are getting kind of one or two complaints through a week, that's the point I would say, you know, looking at someone who can at least be involved in the business in some way, a few hours a week to look at those root causes, to look at what's gone wrong for that customer and how can we fix it. That's the most important thing, because what you don't want to do is just constantly be firefighting and responding to complaints. What you yeah. want to do is gradually reduce the number of complaints you get completely and Im- improve the number of positive reviews you get. You know, that that's that's the goal, isn't it?
0: Yeah, don't we? Yeah, I mean, I think we've had three complaints in the three years. Uh, not too bad. And been, uh, not too bad. And it <laughs> too, uh, they're quite nice. Yeah. They're, just, they're lovely people, just... Because it's related to house hours,
1: it was uh, a bit more stressful. It's emotional. It's a really emotional time for people. And, you know, I totally get it. But what I would say is that, again, just remember that 91% of people who don't ever raise a complaint, don't ever talk to you, they just leave. That's normally because it's not been easy enough for them to raise a complaint in a way that's convenient for them or in a way that feels safe for them. So it's not it's not been made anonymous. It's not something that they can just do by clicking a, a button. It, you know, it's a long winded. They phone up and say, I'd like to make a complaint. And they're told, well, you've got to go here and fill out this form if you want to make a complaint. And it, you know people make it hard for complaints to come through thinking that that will solve the problem. But it, it doesn't. You've got to make, the, make it easier. And actually, when we work with people, what we normally do is we challenge them. To achieve an uplift in complaints for the first six months and then the, the the decrease after that because what we're basically saying is the complaints are out there you just haven't made it easy enough yet so make it as easy as possible for people and naturally you will see a bit of an uplift but that just says actually brilliant we've made it easy for people now it's working then you've got all that extra data that you wouldn't have had otherwise that you can use to shape how you progress your business. And then that's going to achieve that long-term decrease in complaints. So it's a great thing to do if you can, but it can be scary at (laughs) first.
0: Yeah, that's very. Yeah, it's. Um, I think it's. very non-confrontational, and it's quite a confrontational thing, isn't it, getting these complaints and obviously dealing with. It? But it's a great. It's a great idea that. Yeah, really, but,
1: you know, I think it doesn't have to be confrontational. And actually, a lot of the time, if you if they get to that point of being really angry and frustrated, it's because it has been a bit difficult to get the help they need. So, if you do improve it and make it as easy as you possibly can in in all ways the chances are you'll have those conversations slightly earlier in the process before that customer's really annoyed. And actually, at that point, all they're doing is asking for help. So if you can help them and put that as the first priority, hopefully that confrontation actually just decreases a tiny bit.
0: Very useful. Well, we're coming to the last, last thing now, which was just to ask. Kind of, what is the plan for you over the next twelve months? And kind of completely off the original question yeah, so I, think it's been, um, I think it's actually really useful, and it's been much more. Um, I think it's played a lot better than just asking you standard questions that realistically uh, are. Yeah, I think yeah, people their eyes. <laughs> So, um, what's, what's the plan for you the next twelve months? You know what? What can we what can we see from you? Um, obviously, I'll put all your details on on the podcast. So people can follow you on LinkedIn and website etc etc but what's the plan for you for the next 12 months
1: i think it's really focusing on the business you know focusing on the clients that we've got at the moment making sure that their their customer experience is just where it needs to be um but also hopefully growing it a little bit um from the very beginning we've been very clear that we want to be able to help as many businesses as possible and part of that includes giving away free advice much like you know we've talked today i'm very open with the best way to handle things because i don't i don't want to keep all this data to myself it's you know it's important that businesses who can't necessarily afford to get help in to, to do their customer experience still have access to it so um i write a lot of articles um I, I write a monthly article for customer experience magazine giving away advice and ultimately the next year is going to look a lot a lot like this last year has been just giving away that advice where we can and helping our clients that that sort of we have existing alongside that not yeah. not you know massively exciting for other people but it's my business so i find it really exciting <laughs>
0: So what's nice. I like how you're also kind of growing your personal brand as much as anything else with your LinkedIn stuff. And I think that's what a lot of people forget. They forget mm-hmm. to do their own personal brand as much as anything else. And people will buy into Rebecca. That's what they want to work with you. And I think that's so important. I think sometimes
1: mm-hmm.
0: people forget. It's, it, it's a bit of a kind of way you want to take it, but people want to work with that person. Yeah. And I think what you're doing on LinkedIn is is great. I think it's – look it, I'm looking at your profile and I'm thinking anti-beautiful advocate, global keynote speaker – I'm like, this, this, this girl knows what she's talking about, you know. And I think that, <laughs> that's the is massive. So it's, um, I'm looking forward to kind of watching how you get on. And we'll definitely have a chat. <laughs> I, I, feel like I need to sort my life out a bit. Yeah, <laughs> let's, let's do it. Let's Let's talk.
1: Let's talk. <laughs> Oh, fair, but yeah, you know, oh, oh, personal brand is so important. Like you say, people buy people. When you're building a new business, it's so important. People know they can trust you. And, you know, I'm I'm actually writing a book at the moment for startups that specifically guides them through the first 12 months of kind of customer experience when they're setting up. And one of, you know, there's a whole chapter dedicated to building trust. You know, it's, it's so important. So don't forget your personal brand. Absolutely spot on.
0: When's your book going to finished?
1: Uh, well, it depends how many how many new clients I win in the next few months. <laughs> uh, at this rate, I'm hoping to finish it and have it released sort of October time. So, not not too far away.
0: Wonderful. We'll keep an eye out for that. Well, thank you everyone for joining us today. Um, and I've actually designed these so people can listen to them when they go on their runs because oh, I nice. run and I like this podcast. So that's. But I doubt anyone's probably running to this. They're probably sitting at home. I don't run for coffee. an hour
1: when I run. I do not run for an hour. <laughs> <so>. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, for those bits of people out there that are still running, thank you for <laughs> listening. And um, I'll put all Rebecca's details um below, but like I'm pointing like people can see me. They can't see me. What I'm doing. And um, yeah, tune in next week. Thanks, guys.